0: If you have your Bibles this morning when open to Daniel chapter one, we're gonna look there today. Cassie Bernal. one word, and this teenage girl became a household name and a part of God's Hall of Fame. April twentieth, nineteen ninety nine, around eleven thirty AM, two gun wielding teenagers entered Columbine High School and confronted her. With gun raised, one of them asked this question Do you believe in God? After a momentary pause, she looked him straight in the eye and said, yes. And after he replied, why, he shot and killed her. But at that moment, with that one word, Cassie Bernal illustrated a principle that every parent should be teaching their kids. Every grandparent should be teaching their grandkids. It's better to be a loner than a loser. Because you might say that on that day, a loner was killed by two losers. And the losers are now alone, apart from God, and the loner is with Jesus in heaven. James Patterson and Peter Kim wrote a book called The Second American Revolution. And they gave these results of an extensive survey they conducted across the nation. It determined what the American people were looking for in a leader. And here's their findings. Americans said loud and clear that they don't have anyone to look up to anymore. Two out of three Americans say they don't believe we have any leaders with the ability to address our nation's problems. Half the Americans say they don't have anyone in their family they would look to as a role model. And 70% of Americans say they believe our nation doesn't have heroes anymore. Well, I believe there was a teenage boy named Daniel that had all three. See, he was in God's Hall of Fame because of one word, no. And like Cassie Bernal, Daniel knew how to stand alone. And we need to teach our kids how to say no when the crowd is saying yes. And how to say yes when the crowd is saying no. See, there's this great truth that says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And this teenage boy named Daniel teaches all of us, young and old, how to stand. First, stand against compromise. Compromise. You see, Daniel was ripped away as a teenage boy from his family, his friends, taken captive to this strange city in a strange land called Babylon. And from the very beginning, he was tempted to compromise everything he had learned and lived and loved from the time he was born. First, he was tested with idolatry. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, raided Jerusalem, broke into the house of God, took some of the sacred articles and brought them back to Babylon and put them in the treasure house of his God. It was his God. It wasn't the God who reigns in heaven, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was his God. This was the land of paganism, where the creation had been substituted for the creator. And Daniel found himself in a land that had no room for God and no time for God. I mean, for the first time in his life, he went to a school that didn't begin each day with prayer. No longer were the Ten Commandments posted in the classroom. The Bible was ridiculed as being full of myths and fables and rejected as being dangerous. And you know, there's a great parallel to the situation and to what our kids are facing today. I mean, we're living, believe it or not, in a land of increasing paganism and heathenism. America is increasingly saying that we have no room for God and no time for God. And the Holy Trinity of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they've been replaced by the unholy trinity of the gods of self, money, and success. And every day, and every way, we are tempted. From billboards, to television, to worship, to to everything, to the internet. We're tempted to worship the wrong God. Daniel was also transformed in identity. From the time he and his buddy set foot in that new home, there was this process in place to turn them into full-blooded Babylonians. First, they changed their names. Verse 6. Among these were some from Judah Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. See, these men had most likely come from godly parents because they had been given names to remind them of God. The name Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means beloved of the Lord. Mishael means God is without equal. Azariah means God is my helper. But now their names get changed so that they were reminded of pagan gods. Daniel became Belshazzar, which means the god Baal favors. Hananiah became Shadrach, which means illuminated by sun god. Mishael became Meshach, which means who is like unto Venice. Azariah became Abednego, meaning the servant of Nebo. They also wanted to change their minds. Verse 3. The king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. See, these young men were well-read, well-fed, and well-bred. Right? They were the cream of the crop. Not only were they given pagan names, they were now given a complete pagan education. And it was simply a form of brainwashing. They were doing it so that they could remove from their memory any thoughts of God. Education wasn't for the purpose of information. Now it's for indoctrination. And I believe a similar transformation is taking place in American education the Thomas Jefferson Research Institute said ninety percent of our education thrust in the 1770s was centered around moral values religious beliefs by 1926 that dropped to six percent by 1960 it was such a small percentage you couldn't measure it can't imagine what it is today see if there's one thing anybody ought to be able to see is this there's this connection between the values we teach and the people we produce. Let me remind you of what two great men said. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, to train a man in his mind and not in morals is to train a menace to society. And Charles Spurgeon said, education without religion is like the solar system without the sun. Daniel was also tempted with immorality. Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now the king's meat and the king's wine represented pleasures of this world. He wanted these young men to adopt a eat, drink, and be merry kind of lifestyle. And Daniel was tempted to do three things. Learn the world's wisdom, live in the world's way, and love the world's wealth. It reminded me of a story I read about a mental patient. He went up to a new doctor in the facility. And he said, you know, we like you a whole lot better than the other guy. And the new doctor smiled and he said, really, why is that? And the patient said, well, you seem just like one of us. See, that's what the world wants to do with you. To get you to compromise at every point. To become just like it. But we have to stand against compromise. Second, we are told to stand with for conviction. See, Daniel didn't mind going to their schools because he knew what he believed. He didn't mind being called by their name because he knew who he really was when he drew the line at the king's meat and wine. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. The reason he refused to eat and drink at the king's table is this. First, uh, most of this food would have been forbidden by their dietary laws that God gave them in the Old Testament. But more important, the meat and wine would have been dedicated to some heathen god. So to eat the food and to drink the wine would mean that you were honoring a pagan god, pledging allegiance to a pagan god. And Daniel refused to do it. And the hammer of compromise was now being swung against the walls of conviction. And in Daniel's case, the wall held. I love that phrase. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. See, the issue was not meat and wine. It was Daniel's decision. I mean, you are the person today. You are the person you are today because of decisions you made yesterday. You'll be the person you'll be tomorrow because of decisions you make today. Someone has a disease today because of a decision they made yesterday. Someone will be in jail tomorrow because of poor decisions they made today. One writer said this, There is a choice you have to make in everything you do. But always keep in mind, the choice you make, makes you. I mean, I believe if Daniel had made the wrong decision at this point in his life, we probably would have never heard about him. He wouldn't have been in Scripture. That thin line between greatness and grief, glory and guilt, is all about decisions. See, our convictions control our decisions, and our decisions determine our destiny. And you may think this decision Daniel had was a little thing. But let me tell you some little decisions that changed the course of events. In 1649, one vote caused Charles I of England to be executed. 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of German. 1845, one vote brought Texas to the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. 1876, one vote changed France from monarchy to a republic. 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency of the United States. And in 1960, If there had been one vote change in each precinct of Illinois, it would have denied John F. Kennedy the presidency. So never underestimate the power of just one decision. Daniel also had a determined conviction. See, one version says it this way Daniel made up his mind he would not defile himself. You could change Daniel's home, but not his heart. You could change his name, but not his nature. You can put him in Babylon, but you couldn't get Babylon into Daniel. And he kept his purity because he could say one word, no. And he could say no because he first said yes. He could say no to this world because he first said yes to God. And see, in life, you are going to be met with a thousand temptations. And there's a danger wherever you go. But if you're tempted in weakness, have courage and say no. Stand for convictions. Daniel also shows us to stand with courage. I mean, this was a good decision, a right decision, but not an easy decision. It took tremendous courage for Daniel to say no. See, there was political pressure. Verse 8 tells us, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Seems simple, right? But it wasn't. Listen to verse 10. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. See, if it was discovered that Daniel wasn't eating from the king's food and drinking the king's wine, the eunuch would have died. And so would Daniel. See, to refuse to eat from the king's table was an insult to the king. And to refuse a direct order was an act of disobedience. And either rebellion or refusal carried with it the penalties of death. In other words, Daniel was putting his life on the line. There would also surely have been peer pressure. Of the hundreds of Jewish teenagers there, Daniel was the first, and really at this point the only one to say no. And you can imagine what his buddy said, right? Oh, come on, Daniel, everyone's doing it. And Daniel saying, no, not everyone's doing it, I'm not. But Daniel, nobody will know. Yeah, but God will know. But Daniel, you have to obey the king. And I say, no, I have to obey God. There was also personal pressure. And you think about it, he wasn't turning down burgers and fries. This was the best food in the world. These were the king's delicacies. This was the finest wine in existence. And I am sure the light of the palace looked a lot better than the darkness of prison. And I guarantee you, eating at the king's table sure looked better than hanging from the king's gallows. But Daniel had the courage of his convictions. But I want you to understand this. He not only stood with grit, he stood with grace. Listen to how he responds. Verse 11. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief officials appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. See, notice what he did. He didn't stage a protest, he didn't firebomb the banquet halls, he didn't threaten the king. Just very quietly, very graciously propose an alternative. He said, Let the other guys eat the prime rib and the pork and drink the wine. And let us eat our vegetables and drink water and see what happens for yourself. And I have to say right here that we ought to have the courage of our convictions and we need to stand for what is right. But we don't have to be a crank about it. I mean, you can be right without being rude, and you can be courageous without being crass. You know, I'm a conservative Christian. But you know, I'd rather be around a nice liberal than a cranky conservative. (laughs) There's never a good excuse for a follower of Jesus Christ to be unkind, unloving, or ungracious. We should be like the sales manager I read about. He was famous for his tact and diplomacy. There was a young man in the company that was just terrible at his job, and, and he needed to be fired. And everyone knew that, but he was such a nice young man, nobody wanted to do it. So it was given to the manager to break the news. And the manager sat him down and he said, son, I don't know how in the world this company could ever get along without you. And the young man says, well, thank you very much. And the manager said, but starting Monday morning, we're going to give it our best shot. <laughs> yeah, have true grit when it comes to your convictions. But let your grit Be laced with grace. Stand with courage. Stand with confidence as well. The Lord said in 1 Samuel 2 verse 30, Those who honor me, I will honor. If you're going to stand, and you're going to stand alone, you have to trust God to the point that you will stand for what is right, regardless of what the outcome may be. Wayne Hill made news in South Carolina when he opened a convenience store. Now why is that newsworthy? Well, he opened the convenience store against everyone's advice and not selling beer and alcohol. And he knew that not selling alcohol would cost him two to 5,000 dollars a month. He also turned down installing video poker, which would bring in as much as 25,000 dollars a month. But he said no. And when I asked him why he said this, it would be hard for me to sit in church on Sunday knowing we're selling alcohol the rest of the week. I'm a Christian. And I don't see how not selling beer would make or break a business. And when someone asked him what would happen if he didn't make it, he said, well, you have to have faith that what you're doing is right. Because you get to the point where you trust God or you don't. See, we need to learn from Daniel. It pays to obey. Because look at what happened to Daniel and his friends because they did stand for God. First, they were physically enriched. Verse 14. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. I mean, you see it in their flesh, in their firm, in their fitness. Their cholesterol was lower. Their body fat was less. They looked healthier. Not only better looking, they looked better. They had a glow and a radiance. And not because of the food, but because of their faith and fellowship with God. They were also mentally enhanced. Verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. For 30 years of studying the same books, going to the same class, listening to the same lectures as everyone else, these young men had clearer, sharper, better answers. And they went to the head of the class. You see, because where others had knowledge, they had wisdom. The difference between the astrologers and Daniel was this. The astrologers had degrees, but Daniel had discernment. They had learning, but Daniel had the Lord. They were also spiritually enlightened, Verse 17, Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. See, Daniel not only listened to the professors, he knew how to listen to God. And God showed him things that astrologers couldn't find in the stars, and magicians couldn't pull out of their hat, and scientists couldn't discover in a test tube. They were also politically enthroned. Verse 19 said, they served before the king. And verse 21 says, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. See, not only did Daniel go to the top, he stayed there through the reigns of four different rulers and three different kingdoms. He stayed at the top. In the early 70s, the Iraqi government arrested a group of American students on trumped-up espionage charges. The regime of Saddam Hussein wanted confessions, and so they began to torture these students. The prisoners were told if they confessed, they could go free. Basically, compromise the truth admit to a falsehood. And the promise of freedom was irresistible. And one by one, the prisoners confessed the crimes they had not committed, except for one. The torture was great, the loneliness of isolation almost unbearable, and he came close to breaking. Recounting his friend's story in the Wall Street Journal, Mark Helpern wrote this. They announced they were finished with his case. He could confess or die. A confession lay before him as they raised a pistol to his head, cocked the hammer, and started the countdown. He had heard executions from his cell. He was told, sign your name and you'll live. But he refused. He closed his eyes, prepared to die. They pulled the trigger. And when he heard the click, he thought he was dead but the gun had not been loaded. He was eventually released and discovered afterwards that every other prisoner who had confessed was hung in the public square. Only he survived. See, understand this. Compromise represents a far greater risk than courage. When you stand alone, you're never alone because God is standing with you. That's why it's better to be a loner than to be a loser. So let me ask you this morning, do you stand with God? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Or do you need to today? If you need to surrender your life to Him, don't wait. Come down after church and talk to me. Stop by the church this week and visit with me. But make this week the week you stand, like Daniel, like so many others throughout history. Stand for the truth of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Daniel, for his courage and for his strength in the face of adversity. And Lord, I pray you fill each of us with your spirit so that each day we can stand for what is right. We can stand for you. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.